Emily Merrill is an author and YouTuber living in York. Aged just 21, Emily has already published her first book, a young adult novel called Mine. Mine tells the story of Avery, a university student who experiences domestic abuse from her boyfriend Luke. In this podcast, Ruth and Louisa from the Safe Lives Comms team chat to Emily about writing the novel and what Avery's story can tell us about domestic abuse in young people's relationships. Welcome Emily, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so we're here to talk about Mine, which is a novel you've published last year? Yeah, last year in November. Great. Um, which, for people who haven't read it, it's the story of a girl called Avery who, um, while at university, experiences an abusive relationship um, with her boyfriend, Luke. Um, so we try not to give any major spoilers, but the novel does include domestic abuse, so we will be talking about some of that. Um, so I thought we'd start by just asking you why you decided to write this story or what, your, what was motivating you. So I like to write things that I think are not talked about as much in society. I think they're the things that I really have a passion for writing and I'm also very character driven so sometimes it isn't necessarily that I know the plot or the subject, it's that the character comes to me and that's what happened with this one. I was just writing some short stories and then Avery kind of came to me and me and Avery are alike in some ways so she was very easy to write about and she just came to me, I knew exactly who she was as a person, I knew her family situation, who she, what her dislikes, her likes, and I knew the journey that I wanted her to go on and then it, it's hard to explain because it was almost like I just knew that she was meant to have that story um, and then obviously I did a lot of research and developed it and it became, it started out more as a coercive control book but then as the story intensified and as her story became clearer to me, it just became a domestic abuse storyline. And I wanted to write about it because it was something that was I didn't directly experience, but I was seeing it all around me. I was overhearing things in lecture theatres. I remember a friend coming to us when we were in high school and she had bruises on her arm and we didn't know that that could happen to people our age. And I just felt like there was a general lack of education and awareness surrounding the topic. Like everyone knows that domestic violence exists, but not many people would imagine it existing in teenagers and so and young adults, so that's why, why I wrote it, really. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely true that people have an image of domestic abuse as happening between um, sort of two adults who are both heterosexual and like the victim being a woman with two kids in her 30s or 40s. People don't think about very young people or actually older people as well. Um, yeah, definitely. I think we think you have to be like married in a like stable, long-term family situation when it's just not always the case. I think even the word domestic, it makes people think you have to be living together and for young people that's not yeah, often the definitely. case. Um, so did you approach it by doing, like what sort of research did you do? Um, so first of all, I took what I already had from experiences that I had overheard or observed. I talked to my peers and not just about domestic abuse in like as a whole, because obviously not everyone has experienced that, but I'm sure most people have experienced a relationship and a lot of people without even knowing it might have experienced some unhealthy relationship traits. And so I was talking to people about those and I started playing around with 
the smaller, more discreet kind of signs of domestic abuse. And then I started to do further research because I wanted to make it more intense. And I looked on forums, I watched documentaries. There was a really good documentary on Channel 4, which wasn't about physical domestic abuse, but it was called I Am Nicola. I don't know if you ever saw it. And it was about coercive control. And that was really good during the editing stage specifically. I read books and... I just generally gen, generally looked online to see what was available to me and spoke to my peers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so was there any bits of the story that you found especially challenging to write, either because it was difficult subject matter or just because it was hard to put yourself into a different person's shoes? So there were probably two parts of it that were hardest to write. The first one is, I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, but there is obviously, as with every novel, like a climatic scene. And that one was extremely hard to write about because I, I knew Avery like the back of my hand. Like if she walked up to me in real life and introduced herself, I wouldn't bat an eyelid because I feel like we are friends. And so it was really hard to put her through that kind of situation. And also every time I kind of slipped in the seeds of domestic abuse and coercive control, it made me feel uncomfortable and I guess that's the point because it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable but it was hard to write about and then during the editing stage I had to make Luke who is Avery's boyfriend a really kind of four-dimensional character and we had to work on the fact that I was writing from Avery's point of view and so you had to be able to understand why Avery stayed with him and why Avery loved him because obviously I am not a Luke fan and most people that read the book are not a Luke fan but you kind of had to have bits where you sympathised with him slightly and where you understood where Avery's love come from. And that was really hard to write because I had to kind of learn to love a character that I did not and was not programmed to love. So that was definitely the hardest part because he's complex. Uh, yeah, and that's something that people often don't understand. They're like, they can't believe that somebody would stay in that kind of relationship. But um, something that a colleague said a few days ago in a different meeting was that if you went on a first date with somebody and you opened the door and they punched you in the face like you wouldn't go out with them absolutely (laughs) but that's not how domestic abuse happens it's much more um, subtle over time so quite early on in the book there's a line that struck me because it sounds very similar to something that we say a lot um where you mentioned that if everyone's house was made of glass then people if you could see what was going on in everyone's house how different things would be and I wonder if doing all that research and writing the book has made you think a bit differently about the people you meet or like view the world (laughs) in a different way or just wonder about what's happening behind closed doors yeah definitely I think writing this storyline has just opened my eyes to the fact that everybody has a story that is behind what they show you so everyone chooses what they show you but there's so much more going on behind closed doors or behind a house made of glass um, in the example in the book and yeah I just feel like you have to treat people and their relationships with care I think I'm always now looking out for signs in my friends and in my family and just trying to look out for people around me and obviously that's quite (laughs) a burden to take on but once you start to do the research into domestic abuse and coercive control and once you start to realize how kind of insidious it is and how it winds its way into people's lives in ways that are just not surface level yeah you do look at people differently because people are complex as a whole and so yeah you start to think more about people's lives I found that after I've been working here for maybe like six months I realized that I was like 
listening to people's conversations on the bus and being like, oh, I don't like what that guy's just said to her. That sounds a little bit... And then, but then having to be like, it's not actually my job yeah. <laughs> to deal with that. Um, and looking out for signs in your friendships, yeah. in your friends' relationships as well. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of, um, I guess, happened with Avery and her friends. And we, Ruth and I speak about... A lot of her friends kind of did try and say things at points, but Avery yeah. not wanting to isolate herself further by her friends not liking Luke. Do you think that was kind of yeah. a tool? I think definitely as the book progresses, Avery knows... Avery starts to realise that something is not right, and yeah. she knows that if her friends can see into that situation, then the game will kind of be up, and she will have to leave Luke because people, other people will force her to because she knows the severity of the situation, I think. But she loves him so much that she doesn't want anyone else to know that severity. Uh, the friendships were really some of my favourite parts to write about in the book because the people that she surrounds herself with that aren't Luke are just such lovely characters and I, I love them so much. Um, particularly like Eliza, who she lives with. Eliza's storyline towards the end and her guilt over not realising that something was going on that was more sinister than she saw uh, was hard to write as well because I felt for Eliza because in that situation Avery definitely didn't want anyone to find out and she made it so that no one could and so in Eliza's shoes I don't you probably wouldn't notice it and so that was difficult to write about and then she also has Maya who is a character that was interesting to write because Maya has next to no experience with relationships and yet she is the first one to kind of out of Avery's people surrounding her to realise that something's not quite right and so I wanted to have Maya's character there as the only character in the book that was becoming a bit suspicious, aside from Beckett later on, but Maya definitely at first as well. Yeah, and I think that the stuff about Eliza's guilt, that was, it was hard because when you're reading it, you obviously put yourself in the position of the friend and you try and think, you know, we all like to think, especially people who work in this area, that we would know what to do if it happened Mm -hmm. to one of our friends and if it was happening to such a severe degree um, but I think actually as the book shows it's harder than you think and it's harder to even notice it than you think you think oh I definitely know if my friend was being controlled every day but it's yeah you know, it's, it's I mean both parties usually want to keep it quite hidden and so it kind of remains that way ever since writing the book like I now live with my own best friend and so and she looks and is a lot like Eliza and so we have I'm just like constantly (laughs) when she's dating like watching her like I'm like are you okay Um, but yeah I think in that situation it's both parties don't want you to find out so I don't know how easy it would be to, to notice that and also to know what to do and I think that's the importance of raising awareness of domestic abuse and coercive control because when I was in high school and my friend experienced something like that we had no idea what to do because we didn't even know they existed for people our age so yeah and it's like you can't force somebody to leave the relationship or take any kind of action unless they're prepared to do it like and I think in the book Avery like you say Avery knew what was that it was wrong once it got past a certain point but I think she knew they would make a act on it and she wasn't ready to do that so that's why she didn't tell them yeah definitely um, I think she had to come yeah. to terms with it herself yeah. and to terms with the fact that she was going to inevitably lose him before yeah. she opened up um, and also I think there's something around kind of educating people of how to respond even 
I know, it, like we just said, um, it's kind of was up to Avery to do that when she was ready, but also, um, like, kind of at the crisis point in the book, um, her friends say, they're like, what should we do? And we need to, we want to escalate this, but we only want to do it if she's happy for us to do it, and there's yeah. a lot of confusion about how to respond to like, even when it gets quite serious. Yeah, definitely. Like, the people who are closest to her in that scene wouldn't spoil it. <laughs> um, they just panic because yeah. they love Avery so much and they want to do the right thing. But in that situation, if you've never been in it before and you haven't been ed- educated on what to do, you don't know what the right thing is. So it was definitely a moment of confusion for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a moment in the book where um, a bystander tries to intervene... Um, when, I mean, again, don't want to give any spoilers, but a bartender um, reaches out to Avery when he sees something going on that doesn't look right. Um, and she isn't able to take him up on it at that point, but I just wonder if you think that helped to move her along her journey of coming to terms with what was happening. I think it did for a couple of reasons. I think... Luke was gaslighting her and making her think that there was nothing wrong with their relationship, so she didn't even know if there was a problem to begin with. She's also completely scared of what Luke will do to her if she opens up to someone else and it doesn't go right and nothing comes of it, because she is, at the end of the day, she loves him, but in equal parts she's scared of him by that point. Um, I also think that, because in that scene, obviously, (laughs) it's hard not to give spoilers, (laughs) as you've just said, but he lets her know that he's around and he has seen it, and so effectively that's a witness and think that in itself would would definitely have boosted Avery's confidence in opening up about the situation because I guess domestic abuse is one of those situations where it's one word against the other sometimes especially with emotional abuse and the fact that somebody had seen that and validated that definitely will have given her confidence yeah and as you mentioned she sort of um it's just having someone else kind of confirm that because as with the gaslighting and things that Luke does make her question her own reality a bit. Um, so it's just having someone else see that and so she thinks, you know, she's not going crazy and this is actually yeah, happening. Yeah, 100%. So one of the things we say a lot in a lot of our messaging and a lot of our um, things that we produce is that we need to stop asking why doesn't she leave um, and instead we should be asking why doesn't he stop. Um as, as a society when we talk about domestic abuse and I think because you're inside Avery's head I think you can really clearly feel and understand why she isn't able to leave um, I wonder what you think about Luke and if you have any thoughts about why he behaves the way he does or and what you think if he was a real person it's hard not to give away the ending but what do you think would have become of him five years down the line after the end of the book So, Luke is a very complex character. Definitely, I think, the most complex in the book. And I think the way he acts, the way he does, is down to his family and his father, because I think his father's relationship with him and all of his family members is very toxic, and I think he wants to emulate his father and impress his father, and he does that by replicating some of his father's behaviours. I think he would have benefited from the education that I'm sure we all want uh, towards about co- coercive control uh, because I think he just had a, 
completely wrong idea of how you act in a relationship, how you treat women. I completely agree, by the way, with the moving it away from why does she leave, so why doesn't he stop? Because definitely taking any blame, really, away yeah. from the woman. But, yeah, I think five years down the line, well, he spent, he, he goes on trial for, well, that's hard to, uh, spoilers again, but he does go on trial. And I think five years down the line, I would hope that he had learnt from the experience but that's kind of impossible to say because I don't know if he would have immediately got out of his sentence and then got into a relationship with someone else. I would like to, I would like to believe that he had learned from it, but I think his upbringing and the family dynamics were so ingrained in him mm-hmm. that it would take a lot of education and reframing of his mindset for him to act differently. Yeah, it's one of the um, one of the projects that we work on is um, a perpetrator intervention um, called Drive, which it's for a very specific group of perpetrators who are at the very highest end of risk, so they're um, causing really serious harm, usually to multiple victims. Um, but and so what we've learned from that, the pilot of that project, is that it's it's difficult, but it can be done, and that you, if you put in the careful one-to-one behaviour change work it is possible but those kinds of interventions just aren't widely available yeah um, and really it's prevention in the first place as well that needs to happen especially for younger yeah. people I guess it's it would be a mixture of because uh, we were talking about this me and my flatmate last night when I was you know talking through what I might be discussing with you guys today and we were saying that yes his home life really determined mm-hmm. how he ended up acting in relationships but if he had had education in schools when he was in high school or primary school when they do sex education to high school to college about what a healthy relationship is about how you treat a woman and also I think reducing the pressure put on romantic relationships I think in our society today there is such a huge pressure on teenagers and young adults to have this passionate love affair and so people will act in a certain way to preserve that or to chase that and I think less of a pressure on that as well might encourage healthier behaviour towards relationships. And literally the title of the book and like that whole attitude of you being mine and Yeah, yeah definitely. It's not healthy. Yeah, she goes from he she's her, she's his to her life is her own. I like to think that the, the yeah. title evolves with the story. <laughs> By the end that. it's hers. Yeah. I think we did some work around um men and boys um, and a sort of gathering the views and opinions of young men and boys on relationships a little while ago and I interviewed a guy who does a lot of relationships and sex education with young people and he was saying that a lot of the time boys and young men are sort of taught that they need to have a girlfriend first of all and that their girlfriend has to be like she's the only one who they can share all their feelings with and she's the bearer of all of their emotional sort of well-being and that that it just creates a dynamic where it's very easy for it to become abusive like a couple against the world yes in in fiction in the media in films in tv Mm. it's kind of this it's you and me we're in it together us against the world and while some aspects of that are really nice in a relationship Mm. and it's nice to know that you can trust and your partner and confide in them they don't have to be the only person you confide in or open up to yeah I completely agree definitely more emphasis on well being alone if you want to be having so many friends that you can open up to and less of this 
focus on romantic relationships because they are they can be the best thing in the world but as we saw in this book they can also be the worst definitely and I think I wonder if you think there's anything about that time of when somebody's at university if you think that makes it a particularly vulnerable time um thinking about how people are away from their families usually for the first time they've got a whole new network of friends they don't know very well um and especially in Avery's situation with Luke being from before university I wonder if you think that is that's a particularly vulnerable time I definitely think university is kind of a breeding ground for unhealthy relationship behaviours because you're dropped in this, for most people, dropped in a new city, you don't know many people. It's the first time away from kind of the watchful gaze of your parents Mm -hmm. and you have this freedom that you've never had before. And again, there's such a pressure on romance and new relationships. When we were editing the book, there was a conversation between the group of friends and my editor said, surely people don't talk about relationships and boys and girls this much in real life. And I was like, they do? Like... It's a major focus at university and it's so easy to, I think, to rush into things and also if you're feeling quite lonely, because I think that university can be quite a lonely place, to depend on someone very easily and become codependent really easily because you find someone, you latch onto them and it's kind of like a security blanket. So I think more so than when you've been in high school, even though unhealthy relationships can stem there, university is where you're most vulnerable in your young adult life. I think, um, yeah, it's a, for domestic abuse and all kinds of other sort of problems, mental health and all those related problems that we know students are dealing with a lot. And there's just not, often there's not a very clear network of support around those people either, um, which is why it's even more important for everyone around a group of friends to be keeping an eye on each other. Yeah, everyone's sticking together and... I think in university, in my experience, people tended to like couple off and then everyone retreated from them. So like, oh, they're a couple now. But I think just so much more of an emphasis on friends and like community at university would help. I I found personally the first year of university to be one of the loneliest experiences of my life because I didn't have my friends from home. I didn't have my family. And if you didn't have a boyfriend, you kind of felt like you were missing out and that you didn't have anyone to talk to which isn't true when you like grow older I, when I've grown older I've realized that but at the time I was very ma- much made to think that if you weren't with a partner you were kind of missing out on something yeah so I wonder obviously you've talked a lot about um education and stuff with schools and young people is there anything else that you if you were prime minister for the day what would you do about this <laughs> how would you sort out young people and domestic abuse so I definitely think that it's a hard question, but definitely at an early age, preventative like education in schools and more maybe therapy and that available, especially at university, because that is it's a real problem at university that there isn't enough help available. So that being there as well, and also to promote not just mine, but fiction and TV shows that talk about this. Because I, since I, when I was leading up to the publication of mine, I tried to read every young adult book on the topic. And I was so shocked at how few there were because I wanted to promote them all and I wanted to kind of lift up the other authors that were talking about the same thing. And they're just 
really wasn't that many books or TV shows. There are more now. It's get, I think it's getting better, um, but out there for people to use, because I know for me growing up, I know that not everyone is the same, but when I needed guidance, I turned to literature for that. And I think having that more in literature is really important, especially, and I couldn't find any books that talked about it the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, women being the abuser, I don't, I don't think I saw that anywhere. So just more people talking about it, not only at school or on the TV, but also in books and film and stuff mm. like that. Which leads me quite nicely onto another question. <laughs> um, so obviously we'll be putting this podcast in our um, newsletter, which is created with and for survivors of domestic abuse. Um, so there's probably some people listening who have experience of it or like want to start writing about it and want to get those stories out there. I just wondered if you had any tips as somebody who has successfully published a book. Any tips for people who are wanting to start writing? So I think you have to go into writing with the mindset of that you're writing for yourself. I think if you and the peers that you want the book to appeal to, obviously, but I think if you go into it thinking, I'm gonna publish a book the likelihood is like it is very hard to do and you don't want your story to be influenced by that mindset so write something that you think would help you and your friends and your family what you would want to write for them uh i it really helps me to start with a character that's how i always start and i do a massive mind map that takes over my whole wall uh, about i know everything about them every detail of their lives of their relationships of their hobbies and then that becomes it becomes much easier to write a story once I know the characters. Then I've just finished writing a second manuscript, and I know that I was really struggling at the beginning. I got about twenty thousand words in, and the reason that I was struggling was because I didn't know my characters enough, and I had to go back. And once once I know the characters, I feel like the story kind of just flows from there. I know a lot of people like talk about and ask me about how I plan a book and I'll be honest I don't plan at all I know that you can either be a plotter or a pantser I'm absolutely a pantser and I just kind of start the book and let the characters take me where they want to go so don't be afraid if your story feels like it doesn't have direction because the first draft is rough and then then you go back and then you edit it edit the heck out of it (laughs) that's good advice um I definitely like we all write a lot of stuff in the communications team anyway. Um, but in work and out of work, if I'm writing something, I just start self-editing as I go. And then I find that it's been two hours and I've written like one paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really helpful to, when you're writing, put it in white font because then you can't see what you're writing. And then you like change it all that to black like, me out two so hours much. later. Because <laughs> I really get bogged down with that, with like changing the grammar and all oh, that sentence doesn't look right. But if you change it to white font, you can't even see the spelling mistakes. <laughs> and then two hours later, you've written... It might not be good, but you've written something. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's a good tip. That never occurred to me. Uh, maybe we'll try, try that. that with our next press release. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not with the press release. <laughs> Anything that you're up to next? So, at the moment, I'm just writing. I just finished my second manuscript and I'm now editing that uh, to send it off to Salad Pages. And then I have an idea for a third book that I want to write, but I want to get the first stage of editing done before I move on to that. So just writing away, really. Um, I'm trying... The second manuscript is, again, tackling some issues that I feel like aren't talked about much. It's not domestic abuse this time, but it is um, topics that I feel are equally as important but aren't 
talked about in society enough. But then the third one uh, that I'm just about to write is more, it's important, but I want to write something a bit more lighthearted. So uh, without giving too much away, the excitement and messiness of being in your 20s <laughs> is what I'm writing about at the moment, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. of material. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Living with my flatmate provides endless material for that one. <laughs> so yeah, just writing away. Nice. Well, best of luck with that. Thank and you so much. Look forward to reading them. Thank you.